0: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac.
1: edition of the show scoops with Danny Mac and remember this is a short week so tomorrow it'll be Brian Walton of the cardinalnation.com we're going to talk a little baseball though today Ryan Fagan of the sporting news will be my guest if you want to jump in and talk baseball as well we welcome you in on the air comfort service text line 65780 65780 and if you have questions comments you want to yell at me whatever that's fine 65780 you want to yell at tanner you can do that as well tanner always appreciates being yelled at you were just telling me that during the break
2: yeah tell me how bad i am as a rams fan
1: did you get you must have gotten yelled at this morning
2: uh, a little bit when I said I was rooting for them to win with the backup, but yeah, people weren't happy. It's okay, though. They're probably not going to win. They're not going to make the playoffs.
1: I would yell at you for that, too. Yeah, well, they're not going to win. They're not. Padres making news in what has been a quiet, and I mean a quiet baseball offseason, which usually is one of my favorite times of the year, which is the hot stove League, And we don't have a lot of hot stove action right now because we're just waiting to see if we're going to have baseball start on time. But in the past two days, the Padres, they've acquired Blake Snell, former Cy Young Award winner. They signed a Korean shortstop to a four-year, $25 million deal. Then they weren't done. They added Hugh Darvish from the Cubs and Victor Caratini for Zach Davies, four minor leaguers. Those minor leaguers rank between 11th and 16th on MLB.com's Padres prospect list. So overall, the Padres have added $30 million to their 2021 payroll, which is now expected to top 140. So they want to compete with the Dodgers. There's no doubt about that. On the flip side, you have the Cubs and Rays shedding payroll. Enos Harris of The Athletic
3: i think there's a through line here to from taking snell out early and trading him right after they made the the world series appearance i think there's actually a a link between the two and the link is for me that the Rays are going to do whatever they need to do to win. You can't fault the Rays for giving a 60 to $70 million payroll. This is what we have to do. We have to continually trade for young players. We have to have as many $500,000 players on our team as we can. And we have to be cheap on starting pitching and, and just basically get four or five innings out of our starting pitchers and then have a great bullpen because that's a cheaper way to go. They built their team this way. They, they don't let their starters go through 3 times through the order. And yes, um, you know fans aren't super excited about either thing. You know, obviously, they're not, you know, going to Tampa games, but also the national fandom was not happy to see Snell to be taken out of a game that he was dealing in. And national fans, and especially Tampa fans, are not happy to see a team that was in the World Series, make a deal that looks like they're rebuilding almost um, in the same off season. But you can't blame the Rays. If the Rays are not the team to be blamed here, I think the blame rests on leadership. And uh, it's a little bit different in each case what you want to do about it. But leadership can change the rules of the game uh, for more contact, for more balls in play, for how relievers can be used or how starters can be used or anything, they can change. We can change this. If you look at basketball, for example, uh, they make a, a fair amount of rule changes from year to year. They, you know, jet. Basketball has changed over the, the last ten years or so. It's changed in a big way, and I think it's it, it's been a big part of their popularity. Baseball has not changed as much in terms of play on the field. And then on the other side, in terms of you know revenue sharing or changing the salary structure for players uh to disincentivize this kind of work you know that's complicated and there's going to be a big cba and they're going to battle it out but one thing that i do think that the players should advocate for is something like a doubling of the minimum salary and if you think about that if, if the youngest player on your roster costs a million bucks Then all of a sudden, a true veteran, a proven veteran, where you can be more sure about their production, you know, maybe he costs two or three million, but maybe that's a better deal because you can be sure he's gonna do something, whereas the $1 million player you're not so sure of. So I think that we could see a little bit more movement among veterans and the free agent market if we made the young player a little bit more expensive. And honestly, there's more and more young players playing on minimum deals. I think we're past 40% of baseball is playing on minimum deals. And that has got to be a little bit scary for a player to see that kind of landscape in baseball.
1: Really interesting stuff. Enos Harris does a great job breaking down economics of the game, also the pitching uh, of the game. And that was on Scoops with Chris Raby. few things that stood out with what he said there, uh, minimum wage. So if you double that, yeah, that would entice certain aspects of the economics of the game. The compensatory pick, you think about that being attached with free agents. That's something you have to think about. I I shudder to think what we're doing this time next year with the pending CBA. Are we talking about, again, well, when's baseball going to start? Are we going to have a CBA? Are we going to have a deal in place? Um, Right now, it might be an indictment of the game when you got Blake Snell with a reasonable deal, three years left on that deal, and he gets traded. That's a problem. If you're Tampa Bay, he should be in a Tampa Bay uniform. Now, part of that may be the way that the World Series ended, but let's be Realistic. It's because Tampa Bay needs to flip these guys to stay competitive. That's a problem.
2: That's why I've always wanted to see a salary cap and a floor in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Because look at every other league. You've got teams like in uh, the Florida Panthers. They don't draw well to their arena. They'll go out and spend some years. Not this year, but small market teams do that, and they do that in the NBA and the NFL, too. Josh Bell gets
1: traded by Pittsburgh. Down year, but a couple years ago, that first half of a season... He's one of the best hitters in baseball, and now he's traded? That's not good. I mean, if you're a Pirate fan, it's been a tough 25 years, man. He had a couple of good years in there. Cardinals, if Michael Walker doesn't go out and almost throw a no-hitter and stave off elimination... You win that series, you move on. But that's been as close as they've gotten in the last 25 years.
2: And that's such a beautiful ballpark, too. And it's, it's hard to draw part. people there. It's hard to draw people there with the amount of talent that they give away constantly.
1: Now, they got a couple of guys that are top 35. One of them is the third baseman that is going to be a stud. Charlie hayes's son, Key Brian Hayes, he is a stud. He's going to be one of the top players in baseball before it's all said and done the next couple of years. But you got to keep him. And if you're a fan of the Pirates, you're sitting there going, well, Wins his expiration date here in Pittsburgh. That is a problem right now in the game. Back to the Cubs. What do they do now? So you Darvish is gone. That's 60-plus million off their books. To salary dump. They got teenagers coming back in that deal. For you Darvish, coming off a, a season in which he finished second in the Cy Young Award, Chris Bryan came back on his deal for one year. Probably not in the future for the Cubs, Javi Baez, terrible season this last year. He's going to be gone. Jason Hayward, they can't get rid of him. Kimbrell has to get off to a good start. Maybe they could trade him. Rizzo is the face of that franchise. And then Contreras has, to me, the most market value for somebody out there. Could be fascinating for the Chicago Cubs. On to football. The Bills had a blowout win last night against the Patriots. Monday night football, Cam Newton was awful. 5 of 10, 34 yards. Barkley takes a knee, and that will do it. 30 seconds will count off the clock, and the Buffalo Bills win it in resounding fashion. 38-9 over the Patriots. It's the first time that a team has swept the New England Patriots' A divisional team has swept the New England Patriots in a season in 19 years. And the Bills did it with an exclamation point tonight. The final score, it's Buffalo 38, the Patriots 9. And Cam Newton was benched midway through. You're talking to a person who ain't seen his kids in three months, obviously the
4: contract is what it is. Uh, submitting myself to this team is something that I've been doing since day one, uh, being accessible, being accessible, um, and yeah it's it's frustrating it, it makes you mad it makes you angry knowing that to be a trusted teammate you know you first have to submit to authority and submit to what what the coaches are asking you to do and I feel like I have done that and it, I, I don't I don't I'm not in the, the place to blame or the place to I'm just more or less venting right now because yeah I've sacrificed so much this year and I mean, it, it, it is it hurts, you know, when you when you have the, the outing that you have tonight, and just to go home and then start it over for a whole another week.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, they can't bring him back next year. Can't. No. Can't start him next week. Yeah, it's
2: time for Stidham. It's yeah. probably
1: time for Stidham a couple weeks back. I would agree first year of the NFL's expanded playoffs has left us with seven postseason spots still in play week 17 approaches it's more than in any year since at least 1990 the most recent time the field expanded and sets up for a wild final week of the regular season Kansas City Buffalo Pittsburgh Tennessee you got Miami uh, who else Baltimore Cleveland still in the hunt you got the Colts in the NFC you got Green Bay New Orleans Seattle Washington, Tampa Bay, the Rams still in the picture, Chicago, and then, of course, you got Arizona, Dallas, <laughs> and the Giants. Oh. oh, look at your face. You just went, oh.
2: That oh. NFC East is bad, <laughs> except I'm still rooting for an NFC East team to win a playoff game. Why? I think it'd just be a heck of a story. What a, what a joke that a, what is it? What I think Dallas could be, what, 5 and 10? Or, or, sorry, 5 and 11, maybe? 6 and 10?
1: 6 and 10.
2: And you could, you're hosting a playoff game in which Giants you have fans. Giants are five fans. and ten. So, yeah, I think, what, six tens is the minimum that anybody get in, right. right? So you're hosting a playoff game against a team that's really good that may end up with 10 or 11 wins, yeah. and you beat them? Come on, that's a great story to like. No,
1: it's not. You should not have home field advantage for that game. I agree with that, but come on, we can root for them. No, no. I said that from the beginning. No. No, no, no. You don't earn that. You shouldn't even be in the playoffs.
2: I'll I'll root for whatever three it is. Whichever one gets in, I wouldn't put money on that, but I'll I'll root for him.
1: By the way, I want to say uh, congratulations to my buddy, uh, Bobby McCormick. He is a longtime uh, high school basketball coach here in the area. Won a state title at CBC High School. He's now coaching at Priory, and he picked up win number 500 yesterday. 500 wins for Bobby Mack. Bobby McCormick, if you know Bobby, reach out to him, but he picked up win number 500 yesterday. That is a lot of wins in doing it in high school. 500 wins for Bobby Mack. Bobby McCormick, way to go, Bobby.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mack in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
2: Ryan
1: Fagan is the senior baseball writer for the Sporting News and it's always great to visit with Ryan as uh, we get set for, let's hope, some movement, more movement going into January. We've had some movement in the last 48 hours, especially with the San Diego Padres and Ryan, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. Great to hear your voice. How are things going?
5: Things are going great, Dan. Same to you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. Finally, some good
1: stuff, right? You got it, man. Um, how about the Padres and A.J. Preller? What do you think? Yeah. Is he, is he going to get the ball rolling for everybody else now? I mean, let's hope so. You know, I, I feel
5: like, and I, I wrote this back in November, and lots of people have been saying it, not just me. The market was primed for someone who was willing to be aggressive to really take advantage of this situation, this current situation, this offseason. We have so many teams talking about being cautious and waiting to see how things develop. Um, The truth is there's still a world series to be won this year and next year. And the moves that are happening this off season, um, while they might bring some sort of uh, unknown element to the equation, there's still uh, teams are in position to make moves that may not be challenged by as many other teams as would normally happen in the off season. And I think you look at what the Padres have done, you know, they had a good farm system. They've spent the last couple of years really building up that farm system, and they didn't even get rid of some of their best pieces of that farm system in making trades for Blake Snell and Yu Darvish. So I think that we're seeing here what a team that wants to be aggressive, that wants to go after it, can do, and it doesn't cost maybe as much as some people thought it might in terms of prospect return.
1: What do you think this does in terms of them going head-to-head with the Dodgers and trying to close the gap?
5: And that's the big question. And I think the only time that is going to be answered is in October. You know, Because I think that clearly, I think there's no doubt, when you look at the National League, the two best teams are the Dodgers and the Padres. right? One of the teams is going to win the NLS and the other team is going to be the top wild card. That's how it's going to happen, even though we don't know exactly how the wild card playoff situation is going to play out. We know those two teams will be there in whatever form it takes, right? So the question is, can they beat the Dodgers in the postseason? And that is a silly question to try to answer at this point, you know, in December. But I think that you look at it, and it shapes up very well. You know, we saw what Blake Snell could do in the postseason, in the World Series, against the Dodgers, right? You know, we've seen what you Darvish can do, you know, and he's his history, you know, <laughs> In the World Series isn't great, but you know he looked like a reinvigorated pitcher last year. He's the type of guy that can go out there and can dominate when he needs to. And we know what Fernando Tatis is capable of. We know what Manny Machado is capable of, and all these other young players that they have. Uh, so I think the Padres have put themselves in a very good position to be the best challenger to the Dodgers that baseball has.
1: Boy, th- this is uh, this NL Central now with Darvish gone um and you look across the board in the central it is it's up it's up for grabs isn't it i mean there is just no clear-cut favorite in my mind for the central that includes the cardinals i mean the cardinals having done yeah. nothing so far could could go out with their pitching and win this division it's it's just clearly up for grabs
5: yeah i mean the cardinals have done nothing but the cubs have traded away you darvish and the, Pir- uh, the pirates have traded away josh bell so by standing pat they've really improved themselves in terms of that division. I think it's going to be it's going to be funny because if you, if if we do play 162 a 162 game season, you could see two teams in the NL West win 105 games and you could have the NL Central winner getting in there with 87 to 89 wins. You know, possibly 90 if things go right. Um, but yeah, and and that's of course how the teams stand right now, you know, there's still time to um, to do things. because There's still a lot of big free you know, free agents out there impact guys. There are guys that are available for trades that can make a big impact on that division. But you know, at the moment, it does not seem like any team in the NL Central is, I mean, certainly not in a position where they're going after World Series, but not really even doing anything to separate themselves from the rest of a, a mediocre division.
1: Do you, do you see, I mean, last time we talked was a few weeks ago and we we're, you know, it's the same question I was, I'm going to ask you again, Yachty, Waino, do yeah. you see any kind of marketplace for those guys developing since that time?
5: Well, I think that, especially with Molina, I think there are a lot of teams that see how he could be a big asset to them. And I know that, you know, he's looking for a two-year deal, and, you know, some teams may not um, be so inclined to give him that. I think, you know, you could probably come up with a solution where maybe it's a one-year and a mutual option. But I think there are a lot of teams that recognize what he can bring to them. You know, in terms of, I mean, I don't want to go as far as to say that he's, solely a mentor, right? Because he's not. He's still an outstanding catcher. He can stand up there and he can make contact when you need someone to make contact with the plate. He can still knock the ball out of the ballpark. You know, he's still outstanding defensively. He still manages a game and calls you know calls games better than probably anyone else in the in baseball. So he still brings this value. And I think there are teams, especially contenders, that are going to look and say, okay, well if you're willing, if we're if we're going to give you a, a two year deal are one and an option, and you're willing to catch 75 to 100 games as kind of a code number one catcher, then we're very interested. And if you want to be part of the postseason, you know maybe you should think about joining us. I know you've been to St. Louis this whole time, and you love it there, and the fans love you, but if you want to win, we think we can give you the best opportunity to win. I think there are a lot of teams that could see that happen. So I think that the longer he stays away, the longer he hears – about teams that are interested in him, you know, I think quite honestly, the the more the chances are that, that he could possibly go away. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think the longer he's out there, the more interest he hears about the better the chances are.
1: I, I thought you had a, a, a really interesting piece and I, I talked about it with uh, Randy and Michelle and Ryan Fagan is my guest, senior baseball writer from the sporting news about the hall of fame and that there may not be anybody, elected to the hall of fame this year and very close yep. is kurt schilling then you have the steroid guys they're around 60 61 Schilling's right around 70 71 you need 75 i think schilling gets in it's going to be close it'll be it's ironic it'll be the writers that vote him in those that he disparaged to an extent um but uh, explain this a little bit for fans out there and, and maybe some of your reasoning behind that
5: Well, I mean, it is fascinating. We've we've seen so many players inducted in the last five years. This is, I think, the fifth year I've cast a ballot, and it feels like we've had at least two, sometimes as many as four guys get elected because there have been so many guys that are worthy of it, you know. And this year, last year, to an extent, this year it's kind of slowed down. There aren't any slam dunk guys because, you know, you look at Schilling and his negatives, you look at um, Bonds and Clemens, and I'm going to throw Manny Ramirez in there as well. He doesn't get talked about with the way this, those two guys do, but his numbers are right. Well, they're not right there with bonds and clements, but they're right there with other hall of famers. So you have these guys that are yeah, butts. you have a lot of those guys, right? And I think that that's when you see the difference between the revealed ballots, you know, Ryan Thibodeau runs the, the hall of fame ballot tracker, which I, you know, check four or five times every day, every time I want to make a reference when I'm working on my ballot. But, you know, last year, Kurt Schilling was at 77%. Um, among the ballots that had been revealed before the hall. His percentage wind, wound up being in the 60s because he was only getting about 50% of the vote on guys from voters who didn't reveal their ballots publicly um, before the, the announcement. So, you know, he's right about that same place. He's been above and below that 75% mark kind of depending on what, day, what time of the day you look at it. But he, you know, I, I'm not sure that he's going to get there this year. And he's really the only one that has a legitimate shot of getting there. Um, so I think that the the ceremony this year is going to have Derek Jeter and Larry Walker's the two BBA guys who were elected last year, but weren't able to be inducted because the ceremony was canceled for COVID. So I think it's going to be fully their stage this year. And then we are setting up for the class of 2022 is going to be uh, just the ball is I'm fascinated to see how it plays out because, I think you're going to have Bonds and Clemens in their last year, Schilling in his last year, and then you're going to have David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez added to the ballot too. And that's when you really start to, uh, it starts to get fascinating to see how people are going to react
1: with their votes. Do you think they get in?
5: I think that they, I think both of them do. Um, And I think that it probably pulls, it's certainly, pulls Bonds and Clemens into consideration because how can you vote for Alex Rodriguez and not vote for those guys? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Ortiz was named in the Mitchell report, even though he's said that he never did, uh, never took any sort of PEDs. He was named in the Mitchell report. And these two guys have been, you know, whereas bonds and Clemens have been kind of the villains. They've always kind of been reviled. People say, yeah, they're jerks. Right. But a rod and Ortiz have been part of the public face of baseball you know, embraced by baseball up there on the Fox broadcast, you know, everybody loves those two guys, right? So if you're going to hold the same standards um, of the PED connections uh, against Bonds and Clemens and not A-Rod and Ortiz, that that doesn't make any sense, right? So that's why, to me, it's going to be just fascinating to see how that plays out.
1: I find this fascinating, Ryan. I don't know if you knew this. You probably did because you're a lot smarter than I am, and you follow this stuff very, very closely. I love baseball, and I, I didn't know this, but the Baseball Writers Association of America has inducted only seven third basemen ever. Chipper Jones, yeah. Wade Boggs, George Brett, Mike Schmidt, Brooks Robinson, Eddie Matthews, Pie Trainer. That is it. And so, yep. in my opinion, Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, and I, I contend that his trajectory will be that of larry walker's um i do think he will get in especially after the way that he jumped up last year do you think that's a a fair assessment
5: yeah i do i I think the the third base position is wildly underappreciated in terms of the hall of fame plat gallery you know and he's a guy that when i had a ballot i voted for scott Rowland. I voted for Scott Rowland every year, right? The first year he was on that ballot, he barely made it. Yeah, I mean, You have to get above 5%, but the ballot was so crowded that people left him off because he wasn't one of their top 10. Maybe he was 11th or 12th. And the question, because you have that 10-person ballot limit that you can vote for, the question isn't yes or no, is this a guy a Hall of Famer? It's how am I going to use my 10 votes, right? So I left two people off my ballot who I thought had stronger cases uh, and Manny Ramirez and Kurt Schilling, but neither of those guys were going to get in that year, and neither of those guys were going to fall off the ballot that year. So I thought it was more important to use my vote to try to make sure that Scott Rowland stayed on, And I, so I used the vote for him, and I used the vote for Johan Santana because I thought they both deserved to stay around in the conversation. Santana didn't make it. Rowland did. And now we've seen what's happened with Rowland when people have finally got the chance to say, I think this guy is a Hall of Famer. Not, I think he's one of the top ten guys on my ballot, and I think that's why you've seen the support. It's not that people have changed their opinion on Scott Rowland. It's that there have been so many guys elected into the Hall of Fame that you finally have this clearing of the logjam on the ballot, and you can vote for who you think actually belongs instead of trying to play all these different games with
1: the 10 votes that you do have. Yeah. Uh, The winter meetings have come and gone. And obviously there was some news that came out of that, but uh, we're all just kind of waiting and seeing as the virus, uh, you know, we're we're all just waiting um, to see if what we can do with the virus in terms of trying to get fans in the stands or can we get spring training going? What did you hear out of the, the winter meetings in terms of can we start spring training on time, meaning then can we start a season on time or can we get 162 in? Are you hearing anything, any buzz about that right now with the season?
5: Well, you know, MLBPA, the Players Association, is is being very uh, upfront with that and saying that they expect to play 162 games and the players will be ready to play 162 games. And, you know, part of that is posturing, right? They want to get that out into the public because there isn't any certainty on that. You know, I think that baseball would like to, but baseball would also like to play games with fans in the stands, right? And now that the vaccine is out, our vaccines are out there, and you're starting to see the people that need it most get those doses, and you, you start to ask, okay, well, when is it going to be available to the general public, right? And that's a question that nobody really knows right now. And because you think baseball maybe could look at it and say, okay, well, would we rather play, would we rather start the season in May and play 140 games with the stands full? I would we rather play 162 games and not know what type of fan interaction we're going to be able to have, what type of attendance we're going to be able to have. So these are the questions that, that really uh, nobody really knows. And if anyone knows, they're not saying out front because you know it's all part of a negotiation right now. And I hate that it's like this, but everything in baseball right now is kind of any sort of give and take that is necessitated by um, the pandemic is kind of tied to the CBA expiring after next year, the collective bargaining agreement. Sure. It's going to be a nasty fight, right? And any sort of give and take right now is in some way tied to that. So I think that's why you've seen. I mean, we're we're, we're almost in January, and we don't know if there's going to be a DH in the National League next next year. That's insane, right? It's all because They are holding on to that as a negotiation part, and it's really, it's really very frustrating. It's also very disappointing too.
1: I'll wrap it up with this. Ryan Fagan, senior baseball writer of the Sporting News, is my guest. What are you working on right now? You're always looking at unique stories. I love your stories. So, what are you working on right now?
5: Well, the the thing I'm mildly obsessed with, right? Well, fully obsessed with right now is the Hall of Fame ballot. You know, every year I try to be very transparent with my, not just my votes, but my thought processes on the guys that I did vote for. And also the guys I didn't vote for. And that's usually the longer section is, okay, here's my case. Here's how I look at it. And here's why I made the decisions that I did. Every year I do it, it's probably a four or 5,000-word ballot explainer, which you know most people look at and say that's way too long. But <laughs> I feel that because it's such an important thing, I owe it to the people who are very interested in it and kind of explain myself. So that's I'm in the middle of that right now and hoping to finish that up so it gets published uh, by Wednesday or Thursday. That's the goal.
1: Awesome stuff. Hey, Ryan, happy new year to you and your family. And, uh, as always, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Always enjoy it. Thanks Dan. You got it. That's Ryan Fagan.
0: More of what you want to hear scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on one Oh one ESPN.
1: With Danny Mack, and welcome back to the show. Mentioned that I go to some of the uh, text comments, questions, 65780. On my Twitter feed, by the way, um, the Ace of Spader. This is a guy that does some un- just incredible, unbelievable work in terms of looking and making cases for individuals to. Uh, get into the Hall of Fame. He did this with Larry Walker, did this with Tim Raines. He's a friend of mine, and he did this uh, for Scott Rowland recently, and he sent me this, and he did a comparison with Barry Larkin and Scott Rowland, and it's really, really interesting, the comparison between the two. And Scott Rowland has more extra base hits, more home runs, more total bases, more runs batted in, higher war, higher OPS+. Uh, Just defensive runs saved. The the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, Barry Larkin, obviously, a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland is not. And his point on some of this stuff is how, and and it was mentioned there with Ryan Fagan, how you look at shortstops and they get in. And it's a different position. I get it. But there's only seven that have been voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America seven third baseman that's it and he's making the case for scott Rowland to get in uh danny mack from the 636 love the interview and talking about scott Rowland. he was my favorite player growing up uh if he gets in what hat does he wear i think he should wear a hat that has walt jockety on it walt jockety got him a lot of money um no seriously i think he should get uh it should be a cardinal hat five and a half years in St. Louis, four all-star appearances, I believe. He had the World Series in 06. He had, uh, let's see, home run totals in three of the years. He had 28, 34, 22. I know he was over 100 runs batted in twice. Four gold gloves. Uh, Let's see, twice he was over 100 RBIs. And then the trade happened, but yeah, to me, his best years, he was a four-time all-star in St. Louis, so to me, that's That's the hat that he wears, which he can decide which hat he would wear. But it's those five and a half years that he was in St. Louis, prime of his career, spent more time with the Phillies, rookie of the year with the Phillies. But in my opinion, prime of his career was spent in St. Louis. And if he doesn't have the shoulder injuries, it's a slam dunk. Scott Rowland is going to the Hall of Fame. He was just an incredible player, especially when he had the MV3 of Rowland, Edmonds, and uh, Pujols. Danny Mack, I'm getting baseball fever. What's your rotation? I got KK. I got Flaherty as a lock. Michaelis, healthy lock. Um, I'm gonna go with Austin Gomber, and I'm gonna go with Alex Reyes. They're gonna have to fight it out, those two, to get in. Bunch of guys on the outside looking in, but I'm gonna say that those two guys get in. Uh, the six three-six, Danny Mac loved the show. Give me your outfield on opening day. Again, positions that have to be fought for, Uh, Dexter Fowler would have to lose the spot in season, but he's your right fielder on opening day. I'm going to say Harrison Bader on opening day would be in center, and I'd go with Dylan Carlson in left field. Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. Justin Williams would be on my bench because he's out of options. Austin Dean. Maybe Thomas doesn't make the club. He has options, but the starting outfield Carlson Bader Fowler, you give me a crazy look, Tanner.
2: No, I was just going to ask you, who's the starting outfield? If there's a DH, just Fowler your DH, and you put someone else in right. Tyler, well, well,
1: see, we get, we get technical with this. Depends who is starting for the opposition.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, we'll say. See, to I start. get
1: if it's a right-handed pitcher, I might not start Harrison Bader.
2: Well. <laughs> I'd agree with you on that one. Yeah. Let's say it's Blake Snell starting for the Padres.
1: Uh huh. Uh, Bader starts. I want him to face a lefty. Fowler starts, switch hitter. Dylan Carlson starts.
2: And Fowler's your DH? Uh, if we have a DH? Yeah,
1: sure. Let and, him be and, the DH, and then uh, Tyler O'Neill's my, um, yeah, sure. Do you, Because Justin Williams, if, if you're going to see what you got in him, He's got to make the team. He's out of options.
2: Do you see the Cardinals trying to find someone that could, I, I don't know if platoon's the right word, but against the lefties where they can keep Carpenter out of the lineup, maybe move Edmond to third, or bring maybe an Edmundo Sosa? Yeah. Put him somewhere there?
1: Sosa's out of options, too.
2: Oh, well, perfect.
1: So Sosa could play second base, and Edmond is your third baseman. I, they're going to have to get creative with the, as currently constructed, yes. Um, you know, somebody I've been talking about for two months i was remember the name tommy listella is somebody i liked i like him i'm big on jonathan scope i know i've heard you talk about this heard you and bk and alex talking about jonathan scope a couple years ago he put up big numbers
2: and i had a little korean fever yesterday but that disappeared quickly
1: he signed uh for what 25 million four years with san diego kim did right right? about
2: what you predicted 25 million
1: yeah I i thought it'd be 25 million i thought it'd be five years though Went for four. Pretty close. Pretty close. Um, Boy, the Padres, their payroll now is north of $140 million. They've added a bunch of money in the last uh, 48, 72 hours.
2: I'm going bold. They win the NL West.
1: Think so? Yes. I say in two years they do. Clevenger comes
2: back. Yeah. Team to beat. I don't think they're done either. Who else are they going to get? I still think Yachty's a fit. I know they got a catcher in that deal, but... I think if you put Yachty in there, and I was looking at their projected lineup, bat him seventh or eighth. Pretty I good st- team. Yes, I, I I'm. D- I don't think they're done. I think they still have another move they're going to make. Maybe two.
1: Who's your other move?
2: Oh, well, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> I just said they're going to oh, do one. Spe- I you're just th- I think they may look to add to their bullpen too.
1: They need to add to their bullpen. The back. The, that's where the Dodgers are really good right now. Not to say that the Padres aren't it's good it's not great
2: and knowing their gm josh Hader, might be a perfect fit for him
1: well we'll see what the brewers want to do i you know hater's a guy that could be on the move they got devin williams there in the back end um that's where they could separate themselves though in the central division maybe you hold on to him, see if you can sneak out some wins stay with it and if not then at the trade deadline get rid of him.
0: we'll see More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
1: BK is coming up. Jeremy Rutherford is filling in as well with BK. And that is next on 101 ESPN. He is in studio. The great Brandon Kylie. And what's the coming great. up next?
4: What? Well, it, it's just, it's a little strong. The great Brandon Kiley. BK's in studio. Um, Randy Muller is a Florida Panthers analyst, TV analyst. He's gonna join us coming up at noon. Dan, he has watched up close in person. A lot of Mike Hoffman over the last couple of seasons. So he's going to help us figure out what the Blues are getting with Mike Hoffman. That's coming up at noon at 1230. Tony Gwynn Jr. is going to join us to talk about what the Padres are doing right now. Because they've been a heck of a lot of fun.
1: Exactly like his late great father. He absolutely does. It's unbelievable. It's uncanny. When you listen to him, it's like listening to Tony Gwynn. It's incredible. It's amazing. He's the nicest guy, too. His dad was the nicest guy, and he is, too unbelievable I
4: wonder, dan I, i'm curious because i was i was looking at his dad's numbers uh last night as we officially got him booked for the show today how do you think he would be valued today because obviously he'd be a good player in any era like what what tony Gwynn did was unbelievable and his i mean one year what 372 yeah he hit he's amazing i do wonder though like in 2020 because right, he didn't how, slug. how is that well, player he didn't hit valued? home runs or what you know I mean, his best home run season it. was like 12, 12 homers right? in any given year. He Great player, objectively. But I, I wonder what, what teams would look like, look at that player. As.
1: Well, I'd take him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. Let's see, the, 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 what, what was his, What was his on-base percentage?
4: It was pretty high. I, it ended up, for his career, 388. So it was, it was an elite on-base percentage. Okay, what
1: about his OPS?
4: OPS overall for his career was 847, which is good. Yeah. Really good, but it's... It's not up there in the thousands like some right. of the best players in baseball, you know. So, I I mean, the first decade of his career or so, he was sitting at 820. Right. Good, but, I yeah. mean, that's it's like lower than some of Matt Carpenter's years. Right,
1: right, exactly. So, it, it's
4: weird how the, the way that we judge baseball players has just changed so much it's incredible. over the last, and that's only the last 30 years or so.
1: I take them, yeah. Yeah,
4: I yeah, take them too. It's pretty I,
1: good. I, I, it, it does beg the question, though. Um, to your point, and it's valid. I mean, it's a great question. Is will the pendulum swing back to how the game used to be played? You know what I mean. Uh, what are we? What are we going to value? Because in, there's in still 10 value more years? in getting hits. Of course, hits. there is. There is. You because know, is it the idea to score? Yeah, to get on base and score. And so situate, look at it. Like, look, look at his run scored. I'd be curious on that too.
4: Sure, give me one sec. I'll pull that up. But damn, like in certain situations, and we've seen this here locally that hits do matter when you've got guys on on base already like getting on base is obviously valuable but eventually you have to bring them in so in terms of the runs scored actually not as high as i would have expected so 1986 he scored 107 runs led the league the following year 119 no other season above 100, 100 runs in yeah. any given season
1: see to me if you get to 90 to 100 that's that's value yeah that is value the idea is to score that's it Uh, What are you saving, too? I mean, defensive runs saved is big. You know, Ozzie Mm -hmm. Smith saved a lot of runs. You know, you think about defense. I I just think we've lost that aspect sometimes of how we dive into OPS, and that's fine, and slug, and all those things. That's great. But, man, what are the idea is to put runs on the board and take them off. That simple. Good baseball players, regardless of error, are still good at baseball. And I know that there are people out there that dive into the sabermetric, look at games. I do, too. I'm ai nerd I out on that. know I am. But I, I nerd you, out I on that stuff. I don't
4: anybody could look at these numbers that Tony Gwynn put up throughout the course of his career and be like, Yeah, no, nah, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead with this other guy that gets on base about 29% of the time. But, hey, he hits the hell out of the ball. No, I'll go with some, this guy.
1: But aren't we—seriously, aren't we supposed to score runs yeah. and keep them off the board? Absolutely. That's, that's the objective of the game. Yeah. And sometimes we don't look at that. Yeah. I just—I don't get it. But whatever. I'm here to tell you all about OPS. Okay, BK is coming up next with Jeremy Rutherford, and he'll talk about scoring goals. (laughs) That's next on 101 ESPN. You've been
0: listening to Scoops with Danny Mack, the podcast powered by I Promise.
3: Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors.
5: We're going to pick it up a
3: notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of.